And on the other side, hey, this is, uh, it's not really that fatal now, you know, it's not that fatal, right? We, now we got the vaccines, and so why bother? Just, you know, leave it to each one's uh, freedom. And so uh, at the peak of the pandemic especially, uh, there was that whole thing, and people on both sides were complaining. Like, Man, this is, my position is right. They were just, everybody was digging in their heels and, and just uh, kind of going at each other, and sometimes even over social media, right? Even the friends were going at each other. Um, you, know, you know, these days, you know, the, 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 well, I mean, it kind of came down a little bit, but the really high gas price, and people are just kind of complaining. You know, if we are really honest with ourselves, we were also part of this, it's terrible kind of talk, right? More often than not. Sometimes, uh, sometimes you know, I, I find myself complaining too, right? You know, and, and people, especially the people who are really sensitive about because of the, all the gun violence, right? They're just, oh, the NRA, you know, is holding some senators, you know, hostage, right? And then they are just blocking this common sense, you know, background check. You know, it is terrible, right? Some of us, you know, because of our work, at, at our work, the difficult, you know, client, right? So, man, my client says, I want it done yesterday. How am I going to, uh, on this really difficult project, how am I supposed to keep up with their demand? And my boss is, like, micromanaging me. It's terrible, right? We all, like, in one way or another, right, we've had that kind of griping session. It's terrible. The situation that I am in, what I am going through, it's terrible. We hear uh, complaints every day. And sometimes we kind of say, like, it's our spiritual gift. Like, man, you know, we just kind of just lash out and, and all, uh, all this. But, you know, if you're just kind of stop and think about it, the aim when we kind of complain, the aim is not to really fix the problem, but it is to really unload our frustration that's been built up. And when we do that, when we complain, somehow we get this satisfaction of sort uh, by basically blasting the culprit or the perceived culprit, right? And then we just kind of basically unload our frustration, whatever the stress that we were going through. And then we come back a day later and we do that all over again. It's just a, it's a vicious cycle. We all complain one way or another, but some of the complaining cannot be pushed aside or put off for another day because some of them, some of that, call into question our identity, our purpose, our calling in our lives. That we cannot put it off for another day. And that's what's happening in this passage to Elijah. So I know uh, it's just like a, out of nowhere we are talking about this passage, but you know, Elijah, he was a pretty big time prophet. Right? He was like one of the most well-known and most uh, revered prophets in the Old Testament time. And you know, even at the Mount of uh, Transfiguration with Jesus, along with Moses, the only, the only other person that just appeared before Jesus and had talked with him was Moses and Elijah. Those are the only two figures from the Old Testament time that appeared before him. And before he experienced death, Elijah was taken up into heaven. He never actually tasted death. He was taken up while he was still alive. He was a very uh, special uh, figure. And um, 
incredible and miraculous things have happened throughout his ministry. He will raise the dead. Man, it wasn't Jesus. Jesus wasn't the first one. Elijah did in his lifetime. And he would just bring, bring down rain. Actually, in fact, uh, in chapter 18, in the preceding chapter, there's a showdown between Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal and then 400 prophets of Asherah. They're like, you know, obviously the idols, you know, uh, idols. And the Israel, uh, under the reign of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, right, because they were the followers of Baal and Asherah, they would lead the whole nation uh, into worshiping Baal, right, and Asherah. And because of that, <clears throat> excuse me, and there, uh, a part of the consequence was that there was a famine in the land for over three years. There was no drop of rain for three years. Can you imagine? Uh, in an agricultural society, they were suffering greatly. And finally, Elijah stands up, no more, right? And he summons uh, the, uh, the whole Israel, the, in the assembly of Israelites, he challenges, right, King Ahab, uh, Jezebel, and then this uh, basically 800, 850 prophets. And they see whose God is real, right? And so on the Mount Carmel, right? They set up two altars, one for the, the, the Baal uh, and Asherah, like the prophets, 850 of them, and the lone prophet, Elijah, right? And they were praying to, to their gods to rain, uh, just, just send down rain, and they were just cutting themselves. That was part of their ritual, like self-mutilation. All these things, and just crying out to, to Baal and just so that the rain would come, right? Because people were suffering. Nothing. Throughout the morning, half the day, they were just crying. Nothing happens. And then finally, it's time for Elijah, right? Comes, and he asks the Israelites in, the, in their assembly, in their eyes, they just douse the, the whole altar with water three times. Right. So that, that it's not just some kind of like uh, uh, accident. Because, you know, like the, when it's like really dry, you can catch fire if it's really hot, whatever. So um, th- does that. And then he kneels down before the Lord and he prays. And then the fire of the Lord would just come down and just consume the whole altar. Right. And then soon after, there's a rain that would come. He will pray for rain. In the, in the, I mean, can you imagine in front of everyone, he's praying for rain that didn't come, in, come for three years, and he prays in front of everyone, and then the rain would finally come, right? People are saying, oh, God is real. The Lord God is real. They were just mesmerized. They were like, oh, they were just so awed, right? Having the, seized that a momentum, he had all the prophets killed, right? These false prophets uh, killed. So that's what happens in uh, chapter 18. That's where it ends. And then we come to chapter 19, right? So here, we see that he uh, would stand up for God's honor, and a great victory for the Lord follows. And you would think that after such an amazing demonstration of God's power and victory, that he would be in such a spiritual high, and it would be like so like excited and like, you know, fully energized. That's what our expectation of Elijah. If I were Elijah, I think I would be like, man, can you imagine in front of everyone I pray and then the, the rain that didn't come for three years, it comes and then the fire would just come down and consume this like well, uh, it's this wet altar, completely consume it. That's what we would be, uh, I would think. And yet, that wasn't the case. With a death threat from the queen, 
Jezebel, Elijah is afraid and runs for his life. Verse, uh, verse 2 and 3, Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Eli uh, Elijah, say, saying, So may the gods uh, do to me, and more, uh, more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So she's like, by this time tomorrow, I'm, I'm going to make sure that you, 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 you're going to die. Then he was afraid, Elijah was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, where, uh, belong, uh, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So he was afraid uh, by the, the death threat of, of Jezebel, and he runs for his life. He must have been um, you know, disheartened by the fact that, that while, you know, his God proved himself that he is the Lord. But the reality was, still the followers of Baal, right? King Ahab and Jezebel, they still ruled Israel. And they were still saying, you know, it doesn't matter what happened at Mount Carmel. I, 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 we still have power and I'm going to kill you, right? They must have been very discouraged. And maybe a lot of that really, the whole like public display, it must have taken a lot out of him. So he's afraid, and he runs for his life. And while on the run, you know, he really has this few rounds of, it's terrible sessions with God. I've had enough, God. I mean, it's like, enough is enough. Right? I'm wiped out. I am burned out. You know, after the showdown on Mount Carmel, you know, what happens? You know, all I get is a death threat, right, from the queen. And people really, they haven't really changed. They, they haven't turned back to you. They never will. Things will always remain the same because even after all of that great uh, just miracle, they are still in power, and they're going to still do what they're going to do. Right? Nothing will ever change. I want to be released from my calling. You know, forget my calling. I am exhausted. It's terrible. Right? In verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Right? He's asking to die. He's so discouraged. Elijah here lost. We see that he lost his sense of purpose. He was discouraged, and he felt all alone. I'm the only one, the only prophet, only one in this whole nation, this whole nation that's standing up for you. No one else is not even uh, follow you. He was so depressed to the point of wanting to die. I mean, he's talking about the, uh, the, the, the peak to trough, right? I mean, at the Mount Carmel, he was at the top, right? In no time, phew, hit the bottom, bottom so hard he actually wanted to die. He's asking God, he's asking God to just, just take his life away. Right? He was so dejected and suicidal. Isn't that terrible? He's saying, it's terrible. The situation that I am in, it's terrible. And I think uh, many of us can identify with Elijah here. I think we understand the difficult and perplexing uh, nature of being on mission with God. We know what it's, uh, what it's like to be in a situation where 
things kind of seem to fall, in, uh, fall, into piece, uh, fall into place, and things are getting really exciting, only to find out that it's not going to work out the way you thought it would, whether it is in our personal lives or maybe in the life of the church. Initially, things are really exciting, but then soon we realize there's a lot of things that are just not going to go well. I remember um, so many, many years ago, I was uh, part of the church plan, and then so uh, it's a friend of mine, and we started the church together, and it was going really well in the first year. It was just like really exciting. There's a lot of young people. It's all, everybody in their 20s just coming together. Um, but then, you know, as I said before, it just it didn't pan out the way we had dreamed and what we had hoped. Very discouraging. You work hard, but then all you get is a criticism, right, from your uh, uh, boss, coworkers, maybe even from church people, right? So, you know, I, I've had my, I'm sure Pastor Jay too, like, I ha, I've had my share of people criticizing, well, this is what is wrong with your church. This is what is wrong with your ministry. This is what is wrong with you, right? After you're serving and trying to just, you know, serve the Lord. And that's the kind of things I would hear, right? Very discouraging. We know what it's like to experience God's blessings. And you are growing. But before you know it, the world around you come crashing down. Just like Job, the life of Job. He was pursuing the Lord. Uh, he was a righteous man before him. And yet, everything just came crashing down. We've had experiences like that in our lives. And after the arduous journey, uh, but what really uh, is sustained by God's mercy, Elijah finally arrives at a cave. In verses 5 through 8, it says, uh, And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones, and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank, and when in the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. What really stands out here is the mercy of God. Right, I mean, think about it. Elijah was so, in this case, he was so self-absorbed. Right. Usually, the, the discouragement when you are really depressed, it does that. It makes the whole because we are in such a dire situation, or like we think we are in dire situation. We are so discouraged. What happens? We don't really think about other people. We only focus on me, myself, and I, and it's not going well. I am suffering. What is wrong? Right? That's why like, sometimes like, people who are really depressed, when you try to minister to them, one thing they will notice is they are so self-absorbed. They, are only, can only think, they, can't, they don't have the capacity to think outside of themselves. They're only th thinking uh, in, about like, what they are going through. And the discouragement does that to us too. When we are really depressed or when we are in despair, very discouraged, then the only thing that we can think of it's us, me, myself, and I, what I am going through. So that's what's happening here. So he doesn't have any 
room in his heart to think about what his actions would do to, glory, uh, to God's glorious name. Imagine the gloating attitude of Jezebel and Ahab. Ha! He said he's a servant of God. Yeah, he did some magic trick. But when I said, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow, look what happens. This is the prophet, the servant of God. Is this the kind of God that he's serving? Right? And all of Israel was watching. It was such a public thing, demonstration. Everybody saw what happened. And the next thing they hear is that Elijah was so afraid for his life. He ran, he panicked, he ran for his life. What kind of message would that give to, to the Israelites? It's like, you know, how like there's a church scandals, you know, like when, when it breaks, like, you know, what, uh, like uh, people like the Catholic church or even the, the, the Protestant churches you know, covering sexual harassment and things like that, when that gets uncovered, and the press gets the coverage, and what are they going to think about Christians, right? See, there is something that is wrong with there in the church. So think about the, actually, the dishonor that his actions are causing, the consequences of what he's doing here. Man, if I were God, I would be like, man, forget you, right? I mean, I gave you great victory, and this is all you're going to do, right? Think about all the, the, the dishonor that you bring upon my name, right? And yet, instead of, like, rebuking him right then and there, or when he was, yeah, I want to die, right? So take my life. He's like, oh, yeah? Okay, I'll take your life. That's not what he's doing. But he says, he comes, you know, and sends that messenger, the angel of the Lord. Say, hey, you need to go to this mountain Horeb. But to get there, you need strength. So not once, but twice, he would, uh, the angel would come provide food and water for him so that he would gain enough strength for him to go and just encounter God, right? Wow, what a, an amazing grace that God, is, God has done. But isn't that also the story of our lives? Every time we receive the blessings of God and then we mess up, we do things and then we turn around and we once again turn to God and say, it's terrible, what's wrong, God? Why are you doing this to me? We forget about the blessings that we have received until yesterday, and then we focus on the, today's problem and say, God, it's terrible. What's wrong? It's not, things are not panning out the way I want. Forget, forget my calling. Forget my purpose. I want to die, right? Leave me alone. Man, and yet, instead of rebuking him for his failure, God sustains him even as he's kicking and screaming. And we know what's, what it's like to climb into our, uh, into our cave, discouraged, asking God to leave us alone. Do we not? We know what it is like to just climb into our cave, just having a moping session, and say, venting to God. It's terrible. It's terrible, God. You've been there, haven't you? I have, many times. When things just are not working out, I have this uh, vision or the idea of like, how things should be, and when it's not happening, right, I get frustrated. And then the first thing I do is I turn to God. What, why, why are you doing this? Why, why are these things happening or why these things are not happening? Right? Crawling into my cave, complaining. It's terrible session with God. In this passage, we see Elijah 
running away from his calling. And God even asks, what are you doing here, Elijah? Jonah, same thing, right? He received a calling from the Lord, and he was supposed to go to Nineveh, the, the arch rival, or basically they were the, the nemesis of Israel, and they just pre- preach a message of repentance. And he knew that if he preached this uh, message, and if they turn from their ways, that God would relent, and he will not bring upon the destruction that they were supposed to get. So he runs the other way. He didn't want to just follow God's calling. That's, what's, uh, that's what Elijah is doing here. And what we have to focus on here is the frustrations and discouragements in life are not enough. Or, or, or what's happening to Elijah weren't enough for him to be ex- uh, excused or released from his calling. Just because he was going through these terrible things, that didn't really qualify for him to, okay, fine, okay? You've had your shot, okay? You did your thing. So, I mean, I have some other things left for you, but okay, okay, I'm going to excuse you from your calling and for your purpose. That's not what's happening. Neither do these things in life release us, release us from God's calling in our own lives. Just because we are struggling or just because we don't feel up to it doesn't give us an excuse to not follow God's calling and purpose in our lives. We may be just once again in our own cave. I'm done. I just don't know. I don't know if I can do this anymore. I'm finished. I just want to throw in my towel. Doesn't make us. Uh, it, it doesn't allow us to be excused from God's calling in our lives. While Elijah was in the cave moping, God tells him to come out of the, the cave and stand on the mouth on the mount, uh, on the mount before the Lord. And when he does that, right there is a in, in this passage, uh, there was a mighty wind that tore the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces. Then came an earthquake. And then a fire. And, you know, you would think that, uh, or you would expect God's presence would be there in one of those uh, uh, demonstrable, like, manifestations, right? But he wasn't there. Not in the earthquake, not in the, uh, the great wind, not in the fire. He wasn't there. Then a gentle whisper comes. And that's when God speaks to him. That, in that silence, uh, in that silence, the gentle whisper of the Lord comes to him. So, you know, like uh, when I was uh, 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 in this passage before, like, you know, years ago, many years ago, I used to focus on that mode. Uh, when it came to this part, I would focus on the mode of God speaking, right? So, actually, I looked up my old sermon note, right? Um, and basically what I was saying is I focused on the mode of God speaking to Elijah. So uh, I talked about how, like, you know, uh, before I was saying that God doesn't always speak to us in this powerful wind, in an earthquake, or in, this, in a sensational way. And sometimes that's what we expect God to do, like in a, in a dramatic way. You know, like God would just come all of a sudden, just come, you know, appear before us and here I am God and here, you know. This is what you said, okay, this is what, what I'm going to do. And, you know, kind of appear before us in a really 
incredible, dramatic way, right? And we, would, we wish that God would speak to us that way so that we know for sure that it is God, right? Then we look for sensational demonstrations of God's power and signs, signs to know his will. Don't we do that at times? Like, I wish God would just tell me so clearly, right, beyond any shadow of doubt. I wish God would do this. Why doesn't God tell me, like, so clearly? Why does it have to be so confusing and so subtle? Right? God is not always at work in ways that are visible and dramatic. He may choose to be present silently. And would you listen to him in the quietness of your soul? And that, that was kind of the, the part of the sermon. Uh, that's what I would talk about. But, you know, I'm not saying that it's wrong, right? But, and I realized, as I was studying more, I realized that's not really the point of, of the, this part of the passage, right? What we have to understand or notice is that Elijah still hasn't changed. He's still sulking in his, his terrible whining mode. He's like, man, I'm the only one left. You know, like, there's no one else in, this, in, in Israel, and things are terrible, God. The point here is not so much, like, about how God speaks to us, because he will speak whichever way that he chooses to, to speak. The point is in the mode of communication, but the message that he communicates. And what is the message that he's uh, conveying to Elijah? Verse 15 and 16. Where is it? I went too far. Yeah, so verse 15. Uh, and the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to, uh, to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel, the king over uh, Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to, to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of uh, Shaphat, uh, of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint to be, pro- to be prophet in your place. So in essence, God is saying, Elijah, okay, you think that you're done? You don't want to do this anymore? You want to forget about your calling? That you're done with your purpose? He says, no, do not give up and do not give in. You heard my call before, and now I am recommissioning you. You still have more purpose, right? I still have some, some, something else for you to do. And I think this message is relevant to, to, to all of us. All of it, God has called each and every one of us to glorify him, to love him, and follow him. But discouragements and frustrations have set in along the way in our lives. And we are tempted crawl into our caves and sorry for ourselves when every time we hit the, 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 uh, the roadblock, every time there is a mountain that's uh, just, uh, staring at our face, we get discouraged. Oh, here we go. Here we go again. It's terrible. What am I doing? What is God doing? Why am I here? Why is God making me go through this situation? And God here, God would have none of it. And he's saying, go back the way you came. Go back. And you are not a failure. I still have called you. You have a purpose for which 
I have created you. I still have a purpose for you. So this story is a call story. Elijah was called by God to serve him. And now here, he's being called again. And isn't that really the story of our lives? God calls us first from the certain death. I mean, we were spiritual dead. We didn't even know God. We just had no idea. We, had, we, we weren't aware of God's presence, his love, the gospel. We didn't know any of it because we were spiritually dead, not knowing who he is. But then by his mercy and grace, he opens our hearts. He opens our eyes. He opens our ears. And then we finally come to understand the gospel, the truth of God's love and what Christ has done for us. Before, it just kind of just one ear in, the other uh, ear out. That was kind of, it, it, it was like that. But then at one point, God has mercy for us. And he realizes that he is there. And he saves us. So he calls us and we uh, uh, hear that calling initially. But then, uh, uh, and then, and then he calls us to serve him according to his purpose. That it's not enough for us to be saved by him, to understand his calling for us to be his beloved children. But that's not the end of his call. And then he calls at the same time. Now you have a purpose for you. Every one of us has God's calling. God's purpose for which we were created. But what happens is we respond. We're excited initially, but things get tough. A lot of things, life happens. And then we are discouraged. We want to throw in the towel. But God does not give up on us. And he calls calls us again and again every time we crawl into our own cave. Say, God, it's terrible. I don't want to do this anymore. Leave me alone. Right? Forget about calling, purpose. Forget it. I just want to be here in this cave. I want to do my own thing. I want to walk away from it all. I am all alone. Nobody understands me. Nobody knows what I am going through. But here, God calls him, I recommission you. You are not done. You still have a purpose and a calling from me. And here, God tells Elijah, you are not alone in verse 18. Because this whole time, Elijah thought that uh, I am the only prophet left in, the, in, in, in Israel. There's no one else, right? Everybody's into, like, following Baal and all these other idols, just committing idolatry. I'm the only one. But in verse 18, God says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all, uh, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. He's reassuring Elijah, you are not the only one. Right? I have reserved 7,000 people. When, you are going, when we are going through a tough time and a hard time, Oftentimes, we shut ourselves in. 
because we think whatever that we are going through is so unique to us, nobody else can truly understand, that we are, think we are all alone. But that's not true. There are others whom God has prepared to shoulder it together, that there are people around us that God has sent to help us, to encourage us, to shoulder the burden together. There are people who care. There are people who want to live for God and serve him. Look around you. I mean, like, yeah, look around you. These are you, the people, people of God. And I see people here, and I, I do really see many, uh, you know, see you wanting to care, wanting to love God, wanting to follow him, wanting to do God's will, wanting to understand his purpose and doing what is right, right? We are not, you are not alone. I am not alone in this journey. It is a call of God that gives us passion. It is a call of God that gives us purpose. It is a call of God that gives us passion. Other things come, uh, other things just come and go. It cannot be a lifelong uh, motivation. But the call of God, the purpose that, for which we, God has created, that gives us the lasting, true, lasting passion and purpose in our lives. To walk with him, to love him, to be known by him, and to, to be loved by him and make him known. The great prophet Elijah was human just like us. Went through the ups and downs of spiritual journey just like us. He's had his it's terrible moments like us. Even though he was a great prophet, he was human. He did his it's terrible sessions. And that's what makes the grace of God, the grace of a second calling, so beautiful and meaningful. God still calls you, no matter where you have been. You may say, well, I've been away from the Lord for so long. I don't know if God can really use me. I don't know if God really truly loves me. I don't know if God can ever use me again. No. Elijah, after all that he has done, the kind of damage that he has inflicted on God's honor here, and yet God says, he doesn't say, I've given up on you. Yeah, you really messed it up. You are a failure, so no more, right? You are no good for, me, for my work, so you're done. Yeah, just mope, keep moping. Stay in your cave and do your own thing. I'll leave you alone. Is that what you want? Okay, I'll leave you alone. That's not what God's done. You still have a purpose, right? Just like that. Where we have been, it may be terrible, not good, but the fact is, God still calls us, embrace, to follow him. You know, like, pandemic has changed a lot of things here, right? There are people who have transitioned out. There are people who are no longer coming out. Um, and just a lot of things have changed. And it can be discouraging at times, but God still calls us to follow him and be the church that he called us to be. Not, as a, not only as a church, but individually. God is still calling us. You feel like you're a failure? 
You feel like God, you let God down. Oh, man, I wasn't really doing a lot of things. Feel like a failure? This message tells us, it says, still, come out of your own cave. Hear my voice. When you hear your voice, hear my voice, do not harden your heart. But follow him. Follow me. I will lead you. I will give you strength. I will orchestrate everything. It's not a smooth sailing. It's going to be hard. Still, a lot of difficult things will come and challenges will come our way. But trust me. Follow me. I will lead you. And that is a message that this uh, passage gives to us. May that be our mindset and our um, attitude going before him. Let's go before the Lord. Take a moment to pray. Let's go before him and uh, 